0: I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're I'm the Sirens. Sirens. Today we're talking about the um, classic British film noir movie, um, The Third Man. And it is a movie that stars Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton and Alita Valley, who was billed as Valley in this movie. Um, it was written by Graham Greene um, and directed by Carol Reed. Um, and it is the story of pulp novelist Holly Martins, who travels to shadowy post-war Vienna, um, which is divided into four zones, occupied each by the Americans, British, French, and Russian forces. Uh, Martins arrives in time to discover that the friend he believes is going to employ him, uh, Harry Lyme, is dead, um, and he being a in. Um, a writer and an uh, and a, an American of a certain um, personality <laughs> decides that he is um, <laughs> qualified to set off to investigate. Um, he meets the local British police, some of Lyme's old associates, and um, and Lyme's girlfriend Anna Schmidt. So that's the uh, the short uh, <laughs> the short synopsis. Do you have any trivia to share? Yes,
1: there is an endless amount of trivia about this movie, so I, I'm not going to share everything. Um, you mentioned that Graham Greene wrote this, the novelist, and this was the only screenplay he ever wrote. So, And he wrote a novella first, and then he wrote the screenplay, right? Yes, he adapted it. And then there's there was some tension in some of the decisions about how faithful it was going to be to oh, the yeah. novella. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So, the Vienna Police Department actually has a, or at this time, had a special unit assigned to patrol the city's sewer system because it's so, Um, like, elaborate. And the actors playing the police officers in the film were actually off-duty members of that unit. So, like, all those close-up shots of people's faces.
0: Oh, they were actually police officers. Yeah.
1: So, I thought that was really cool. Um... The director, Carol Reed, who already had drug problems, became hooked on Dexedrine, which is known as Speed, like as a street drug, while shooting this movie. And it was like a super strenuous, time-consuming movie to make. Um, And he was operating on as little as two hours of sleep a day. Oh my god. (laughs) Yes. Um, The movie has really distinctive music. Uh Uh-huh. And... Reed heard Anton Karas playing at a production party and insisted the Austrian Zither... Is that how you say it? Zither? Uh, that's how I would pronounce it. That's I don't know if that's correct <laughs> Zither player came, uh, come to his hotel room and record songs to use for the contract. Then later in production, he realized that he wanted to use Karas's music for the entire film, and he flew him out to London to record the score for the whole thing. And... This really made Kraus's career, and he became a top-selling musician and even opened his own nightclub in Vienna called The Third Man. Carol Reed wanted to be very true to the atmosphere of Vienna at the the time of this film, Mm -hmm. so he sought out the help of city officials and people who lived there, and they actually were very um, compliant. And they, like, it, he wanted it to always look like the streets were wet, wet with rain. Uh-huh. So, like, if it didn't rain, they would open the fire hydrants for him so it looked like it rained. And then it had rained. And he used a lot of local residents as extras in the film, including the balloon seller. He was apparently just, like a real balloon seller oh on the street. Wow,
0: he was so pathetic, too. That I know. Sort of- I was so
1: sad <laughs> that, that he was a real person. Um, so I mentioned the tension of like about the novella versus the screenplay, and there was a dispute between Graham Greene and Carol Reed and David Selznick, who was the producer, um, about how they wanted to end the film because apparently the novella had a happy ending. Yeah. And... Um, Obviously they went with the unhappy ending. Yeah. And Green later said one of the very few major disputes between Carol Bede and myself concerned the ending, and he has been proved triumphantly right. So I was like, that's kind of nice that yeah. the writer would admit he was wrong. Um so Orson Wells, the, the quote unquote third man, <laughs> <laughs> he it's kind of interesting how in this movie, I mean, he's really one of the stars, but he's not in it
0: for a good part of yeah, the movie. Yeah, it's like two-thirds of the movie, you're like, where's or- Orson else? <laughs> He's got top billing, and he's not. Um, so he only worked on the film for one
1: week, because he wasn't in that many scenes. And um, he apparently refused to be filmed in Vienna's real sewers, because he was afraid of getting sick. From like being exposed to the sewage and like the smell and everything, and they tried to convince him, but he just wouldn't do it. So his close-ups from the sewer scenes were all shot in London, and there was a body double for the wide shots. Huh. So, but you know, just feeds into the eccentricity of Orson yeah. Welles. The
0: legend of Orson Welles.
1: <laughs> so I will. I will stop there with that because there's way more that
0: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll probably talk a little bit more about um, trivia stuff as we talk about the movie. Um, Do you want to say more about Orson Welles?
1: Yes. I mean, I think most
0: people (laughs) at least know of him.
1: So he was born George Orson Welles on May 6, 1915, And he became an American actor, director, writer, and producer who worked in theater, radio, and film. His father was a well-to-do inventor, his mother a concert pianist. And he was gifted in many of the arts as a child. He did painting, piano, and also performed magic. Um, His mother died when he was nine. And he traveled the world with his father, and then his father died when he was 15, and he became the ward of Chicago's Maurice Bernstein. In 1933, he graduated from the Todd School in Woodstock, Illinois, but he turned down Yeah, an Illinois man. (laughs) He turned down college offers for a sketching tour of Ireland. Sure, as one does. Yeah. <laughs> um, he unsuccessfully tried to enter the London and Broadway stages uh, and then traveled some more in Morocco and Spain, and he fought in the Bull Ring in Spain. Um, then, recommendations by Thornton Wilder and Alexander Wolcott got him into Catherine Cornell's Road Company, and he made his New York debut as Tybalt in 1934. So Shakespeare, right out of the gate, <laughs> um, <laughs> the same year he married, directed his first short, and appeared on radio for the first time. He began working with John Houseman and formed the Mercury Theater with him in 1937. And the theater opened November 11, 1937, with Caesar, uh, Orson Welles's modern dress adaptation of Shakespeare's tragedy Julius Caesar, which this is like one of his most famous things that he did. Mm-hmm. He streamlined it into an anti-fascist Tour de Force that Joseph Cotton later described as quote so vigorous, so contemporary that it set Broadway on its ear. Uh, in nineteen thirty eight they produced the Mercury Theatre on the Air, um, which did the broadcast version of the War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah. Which sat right near where I live. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yes. So Grover's Mill, New Jersey. <laughs> Um, if anyone doesn't know that story, basically they did, um, like, a theatrical reading of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, and, but people tuning in to the radio program didn't know that it was a reading. They thought it was in the newscast, so they thought that aliens were invading yeah. the planet. <laughs> um, apparently, apparently well, Oh, so go, go ahead. It was intended as a Halloween prank. Yeah.
0: So... <laughs> Yeah, and I think something I read recently, maybe it was on like the like the plaques in Grover's Mill because there's now a like a, a, a park that has plaques in it. But the public's reaction to that production changed the way that um, like news was read on the radio. Uh-huh. And there were stricter like rules about whether like how and when you could use the phrases like breaking news or like like stop the press not stop the presses but those kinds of things because apparently using phrases like that confuses people That's about so news cool. versus fake news. <laughs> no,
1: no one has any confusion about that today, though, right? <laughs> no, it's not relevant at all. <laughs> so well, Wells apparently anticipated fake news problem. <laughs> um, his first film to be seen by the public was Citizen Kane in 1941. You know, no big deal.
0: Yeah, so uh, that little
1: film. It was a commercial failure and lost RKO $150,000, but it's regarded by many as the best film ever made. Mm-hmm. And many of his next films were commercial flops, and he exiled himself to Europe in 1948. In 1956, he directed Touch of the Evil and it failed in the United States but won a prize at the Brussels World Fair in 1958. In 1975, despite all his box office failures, he received the American Film Institute's Lifetime Achievement Award, and in 1984, the Directors Guild of America awarded him its highest honor, the D.W. Griffith Award. Wells died on October 10, 1985, following a heart attack, and he's now considered one of the greatest film directors of all time, but it, kind of a sad bio in that he was doing all these brilliant things, but he yeah. really wasn't very appreciated, yeah, even though he
0: was recognized by the by some of the like his peers as being an, a good artist and person at his craft he didn't he wasn't um his his
1: productions weren't very enjoyed by the public. Yeah. So... Now
0: they are. <laughs> do you have any uh, biographical
1: details to share?
0: I do. I looked up Alita Valley, who... Um, so I read in one place she was supposed to be the next Greta Garbo. And then I read in another place that she was supposed to be the next um, Ingrid Bergman. Oh. So she was supposed to be the next, like... Fancy Swedish uh, import, <laughs> although she was from Croatia. <laughs> um, she was born in um, in Pola, which is was in Italy at the time, but is now Croatia, um, in 1921. She was from a fancy titled family. Her her paternal grandfather was the Baron Luigi Altenberger, a descendant of the Counts Darko. Her paternal grandmother uh, was Elisa Tomasi from Trento, and a cousin... She was a cousin of the Roman senator Ettore Ptolemy. Um, valle herself was christened Baroness Alida Maria Laura Altenberger von Markenstein Fraunberg. Oh, that's a mouthful. Yes. So, <laughs> she, during her lifetime, she gained a couple of other titles um, from the University of Rome, Chevalier of Arts um, of France, and um cavalier of the italian republic um so she's fancy <laughs> <laughs> yes with those cheekbones that's right <laughs> she had that look of aristocracy so she, she could can. carry it um so at 15 she moved to rome um and attended uh, uh, an acting school um in school for film uh film actors and directors um by her early 20s she was wild. She was already widely regarded as the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, She, um, not long, like, well, in her mid-20s, she was signed um, by David Selznick um, to a contract, um, and he was the one who thought that he had found a second Ingrid Bergman, because he had discovered Ingrid Ingrid Bergman um, uh, shortly before that. Um, she appeared in Alfred Hitchcock's The Paradigm Case in 1947, um, and then in The Third Man um, in 1949. Um, when she came to the United States, she was billed only by her last name to make her sound even more exotic. Um, mm-hmm. But in 1951, she complained that she disliked um, being called by her, her, only her last name, um, she said, quote, I feel silly going around with only one name. She said, people get me, get me mixed up with Rudy <laughs> <laughs> Um She returned to Europe uh, in the 1950s um, and starred in many French and Italian films. Um, and in Italy, she was known for um, her stage appearances. For a while, she quit acting on, on screen um, and pursued only theater productions um but eventually went back um and she also was a very well-known stage producer um and she died in rome in 2006
1: i guess she never really did become the next no
0: (laughs) she's just tired of being called by her her last name
1: i did think she was like exceptionally beautiful even by hollywood standards.
0: standards yeah she was beautiful And a good actor. Yeah, she was great in this role, I thought. And it was an interesting role for a woman, too, I thought. Yeah. Um, Well, what did you think of the movie? um, I was... So I watched the movie before I did any research of it, and I wasn't paying attention to the fact that it wasn't um, directed by Orson Welles. And so I was surprised when I was looking, um, looking at the synopsis and, you know, who was involved in it? Um, I was surprised that it wasn't directed by um, Orson Welles because it reminded me so much cinematographically cinema of Citizen Kane. It reminded me a lot of other movies too. Um, there's a part that reminded me of Casablanca um, and Charade. There was like the whole oh, part. They're running through the tunnels. Yeah, and running stuff through the tunnels, that. and the fact <laughs> that like Harry actually was alive reminded yeah. me of Charade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I really
1: like this movie. Um, sometimes I have mixed feelings about noir, mm-hmm. but the tone of this movie was nuanced enough that it didn't just feel like this total dark despair. It almost seemed like there was enough humor, and the music I think really changed the tone a lot. Mm-hmm. So that I just enjoyed it, and I think it. I thought it was very tightly written in terms mm-hmm. of a script. So and I guess I loved all the camera angles. Um I thought the setting was fascinating of like
0: post-war Vienna and how the city was divided into quadrants and mm-hmm. I didn't really know I mean I don't know very much about Austrian history and and what it was like there after the war and so it was sort of neat to see. Yeah, and the like
1: the city was literally crumbling. Like it was yeah. it's such a beautiful city from All appearances and with a lot of splendor, but then there were like the steps were in rubble, you'd have to like walk through rubble, and then they had these beautiful apartment buildings, but they were all in disrepair. Oh, yeah,
0: Anna's apartment was just it was so interesting to like see you know the landlady saying, Can't come into this house, and and and, like the house was this like grand, clearly, this grand, closed up structure, and and Anna's room was one room up like. A the grand staircase. staircase in the dark around like some dark stair uh, dark hallways and then just just a, like a crumbly room yeah i just it,
1: i just like i think it's so interesting and it's not something that is talked about a lot now um i thought a lot of the acting was really good at it. they had a lot of good actors like even in the minor roles yeah yeah so
0: it's interesting that there were so many, um, like, that they got the like the police force and some of the locals as, like, pretty, um, like, as, uh, what's it called in there? As extras, but, like, not just, like, stand-around extras or, like, eating in, in, at the next table over extras. It reminded me a little bit of um, uh, Roberto Rossellini's movies, uh, the, like, realistic...
1: I that was something that came up when I was looking into the trivia, um, that this was one of the first um, movies in English that used that Italian style of realism, Yeah, and a lot of the, the camera angles, too, yeah. were so interesting. They were like you know at weird angles, uh-huh.
0: the like sort of slightly tilted. Mm-hmm. The uh, expressionist cinematography. Yeah, was, I think the way that it was um, described, um, which is apparently the, called the Dutch angle, um, which is that like tilted thing.
1: I also read in the trivia that um, in the in the original version of the movie. Carol Reed did the voiceover in the oh. beginning, and it included more information, um, putting Holly Martins not in the best light, sort of revealing him as an alcoholic. Oh, and then when Sesnick um, was going to release it in the U.S., he said Americans wouldn't like that, so because they need their heroes to That's be right. clear. <laughs> So they It's too confusing for Dumbledore. <laughs> <bigger things. laughs> he they recut it with Calloway, uh, right? With uh Joseph Cotton doing the the um voiceover in the beginning. Oh he does the voiceover in the beginning? I think well, the other thing is I was wondering what version we watch of it because apparently oh. they like forgot to renew the copyright like really early on with this movie, so it went to public domain super early. Oh. And there's a bunch of like very poorly edited versions of it out there. So I don't even know, um, like, what version we actually saw.
0: <laughs> so whatever, I, I think on Wikipedia, maybe, or IMDb, someone said that, the like, one of the differences between the novella and the movie is that the novella is actually narrated by Callaway, the British police guy. Oh. And so the narration in the movie, like, sort of, is the only thing in the movie that sort of hints at that, that that was the point of view. I, I mean, I, I, it was really interesting to re-watch this movie as a writer and, like, think about, like, perspective and point of view and who's, like... I mean, like you said, it was so tightly written and the narrative was just, like, so tight and clean.
1: Um, there were a lot of, like, subtle things throughout that... Like when he goes to see Doctor Vinkle and the dog is there. Yes, and uh, but my biggest overarching question is like, one, why does he just immediately? He goes from oh my friend's dead to of course I'm going to investigate this in like two seconds, and then the police let him do all this stuff or like be involved in the investigation to a level that I don't understand. Like later in the movie, he's doing. He's, like, re-interrogating everybody. He's interrogating people. He, like, chases the um, the suspect through the sewers. And then they're, like, when he has a gun, they're, like, you better go
0: shoot him. I'm, like, who says that to a
1: civilian? Yeah, go
0: shoot him. <laughs> go do it. Yeah. Yeah, I I had some question about about that. Um, and it was interesting to me that he was billed as a – or, like, the, the thing with him was that he was a writer of American westerns. Mm-hmm. And – so there's, like, a reference to his book called The Oklahoma Kid, and, like, and so he was kind of, like, taking this, like, taking on the role of a sheriff, like, chasing down an outlaw, and, like, there was sort of that, like, final shootout scene that was very, like, Western thing, but it, it, he also seemed, like, so quintessentially, like, American male, where he, like... Like, of course he's going to. <laughs> like, he
1: yes. was so obnoxious. And his whole attitude towards the police from the very beginning is yes.
0: you're idiots, you don't know anything. Yeah, you can't figure this out. And like, even <coughs> when she and or he and Anna are in the nightclub and the police come in and he just like blurts out something. Yeah. And Anna's like, no, don't do that.
1: I wrote something about that down that um there was a particular like, Americanness to him in that... I mean, so this is a city that's divided into four quadrants. But he is so certain of his elite status as an American that he's not worried about anything happening to him. Yeah. Um, even if he provokes the police. And whereas you could see that it's, like, really a risky place for other people. Yeah. Um, you can get caught up in things. You can end up
0: killed. You can, you know, be deported. Yeah. Just by what you happen to see... Yeah, he wasn't yeah. careful at all about, like, you know, when he got information out of the porter, he just went around blabbing. Oh, yeah, the porter saw you blabbing. Yes, like, and the
1: porter ended up
0: dead, dead. and he had no
1: remorse. <laughs> like, I was
0: like, you direct, he just told everyone, the porter told
1: me this, and then the porter died, and, I, yeah, that upset me a lot. Yeah,
0: <laughs> The porter seemed like such a nice guy. Yeah, <laughs> and his wife, I mean, I just you just think about, like, his wife, who's, you know, trying carefully to say, like, don't you know, she has that ruse at the beginning where she's like, oh, come answer the telephone. Yeah. the partner goes. But, I liked the, the whole, I mean, there were so many little elements in the, in the movie, like, with the kid, with the ball. Um, it's like sneaking into, not sneaking, but just sort of like wandering around in the way that a kid does, um, in the apartment building and overhears a conversation between Joseph Cotton's character and, I forget who else is in the room. So that when he sees, I guess the porter too. Um, so when he sees him again, he's like, oh, this is the guy is the murderer. Although it is totally bizarre that this kid is like, oh, he's the murderer. He's the murderer. And then it's the kid that goes running after yeah, him. Yeah, that was such a weird scene. Especially
1: when the kid like is chasing him over the rubble. And it's like a three-year-old kid. And yeah. then like, all the adults are still like way behind. Yeah. It was bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> That, that was very funny yeah I was thinking that if this had been a movie made today I feel like it would have been they would have played up the anti-hero aspect mm-hmm. way more and had it be like well he's a drunk and and like in the mm-hmm. end of that movie it would have just been like oh no there's nothing you're just mentally ill or something <laughs> that, you know like something the no resolution <laughs> <laughs> There's no end to this movie. Well, what did you think about that, the whole theme of whether or not he was going to help the police to take Harry down?
0: Because I didn't totally understand what his moral code was. Yeah, it didn't seem like he had one necessarily. But it, it did, it was like he, it took him, like he was all for Harry until he realized that Harry didn't love Anna and was like the one that turned Anna in on her bad passport and then he was like oh well i have to preserve the honor of this woman who like to her credit was said i mean it's a shame she's still in love with this total slime doll yeah um but sometimes we do do that um and i loved the line where she said um if you want to sell your services i'm not willing to be the price um which i thought was um a really strong line and and Like, that's the first time that we really, that it's really articulated that she's the price, like, her freedom is the price of Harry, or Holly, um, helping the police. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like that it's not so heavy-handed, the, like, the connection, um, between, because that, that whole scene plays out right after Harry tells Holly that he would pay him $20,000 to, like, kill people, basically. And, and like, take part in the racketeering. And instead, Holly chooses to, like, trade a woman's happiness for <laughs> for his loyalty yeah. to his friend.
1: He was, I thought um, Joseph Cotton was great in He's the so role. Great. But um, that character was very annoying. Yeah. Like, his whole attitude throughout, he was just you know, bludgeoning through everyone and, and, and his attitude towards Anna I really didn't like. And, yeah.
0: It reminded me a lot of the movie, um, Gaslight, where, Joseph Cotton's character in Gaslight, where he's like, he's supposed to be the upstanding guy who saves the girl, but, and he does in Gaslight, but in, in, uh, in The Third Man, she doesn't want to be saved.
1: No, and it, It was interesting. I didn't understand why she was not more hurt or betrayed by
0: Harry. Or at least they
1: don't show that overtly. Um, But it was apparent that she had her own moral code and Mm -hmm. she stuck to it, which I appreciated. Yeah. Did you understand the implications of, like, the Russians claiming her? Because I know you've done work on this historical period.
0: Yeah, I didn't really. Um, I know that they were, I mean, I think it was the time when, like, Russia was, like, reconsolidating and or, like, splitting up into the Soviet Union. And so if she was born in in Czechoslovakia, Czechoslovakia right, um, that they would want to, like, repatriate people who, like, who were outside of the borders of their land. I mean, it... It sort of made sense, but I it was the kind of thing that I like. It was I understood just enough to like sort of understand the plot of the movie, but like overall, I don't.
1: Yeah, I didn't totally understand. Does it mean that she has to live in the Russian section of Vienna, or does it mean that she is has to go back to? Yeah,
0: and yeah, that wasn't clear to me. Um, I didn't realize that Austria was divided into four zones.
1: I don't think I knew that either. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, like now I just want to learn more Austrian history. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and will just go there, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's the best way to get, uh, to get immersed in it. Um, what did you think about the whole penicillin thing? I
1: thought that was really interesting and totally seemed like the kind of thing that would happen. Yeah. But I don't know... If, One thing that was unclear to me was, like, so Harry and Holly have this whole history. Yeah. But they must have been sort of, like, 'er ne'er-do-wells then, too. So what kind of job did Holly think he was coming to do? Yeah, why would he think that Harry was, like, some upstanding guy? And they both basically, like, threaten to kill each other while they're on the Ferris wheel. But he's like, no, I can't turn my friend in who killed all these children.
0: Like, maimed them
1: (laughs) or whatever. We don't actually see the kids. But it did seem very much the way a lot of these police investigations go with, like, you know, large underground networks where mm-hmm. they'll know, like, enough that they know what's going on, but not enough that they can convict someone, yeah. and it's like, they have to patiently wait for months, and, yeah,
0: um, and just
1: follow whatever's happening, yeah, and actually Calloway was doing a very good job, <laughs> <laughs> so the whole time they're saying, uh, he's an idiot, and then by the end, you realize, actually, he did really well with this case, and, yeah,
0: and it's sad that his guy gets killed. Yeah, that that was sad. Which was one of those like, like surprising but inevitable things where I was like, of, co- of course he's gonna get shot and killed. As soon as he was shot and killed, of course, of course he's gonna die. But I wonder too if that the fact that like Holly watches Harry, like witnesses for himself, Harry killing the you know the British police guy. If that's what it takes for him to say, oh, yes, Harry must die.
1: Because it's then that that he's like,
0: I'm going to go and, like, finish him off. Well, the way... I wanted to ask you about this, because the way it was shot
1: at the end there with Orson Wells, like, reaching up through the grate, I almost interpreted it as that that was a mercy killing.
0: Yeah. Did you get that sense? Yeah, that he was, like, putting him out of his misery and... Because he was clearly, like, he wasn't going to get out of there alive anyway. anyway.
1: Yeah. Like, it the way he was reaching up through the grate sort of seemed to imply, like, he didn't want to be trapped. Yeah. And I guess if, if even if he was wounded, like, he would have been taken into custody and probably been in jail forever, if not executed. executed. Um, so it almost made me think that, despite everything, Holly was still on his side a little bit and was like oh no I'm not gonna let the police get yeah. you yeah so yeah what did you what did you think of that weird strip joint scene
0: with the pasties or the pasties yeah. or whatever you pronounce it it just came out of nowhere and I was like what Wait, why, yeah why is she <laughs> naked
1: <laughs> um so does that mean this was pre-code or is it just because this is a British film they can do that oh
0: maybe maybe because it's a British film we need to do some code history. Yeah, because I, f- I was like, if this was in the '40s, then this should have been post. Yeah, code. Well, so maybe what we well, if they had to add, maybe that scene that like the shot of the lady dancing in the pasties isn't in the American version. Yeah, maybe not. And we watched like some like weird
1: amalgamation. <laughs> 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 um, he just, he constantly seemed like he was drunk. Yeah. And belligerent. And here's my other question. So he stays in Vienna. Does it, if it's implied that he's staying for Anna. Right. Does Who he snubs her at the end? Yeah. And like, does he really think she's ever going to like him when he killed, literally with his own hands, killed the person that she he, loved? Yeah. Would she
0: ever get over it? Yeah. Well, it's not clear to me if then he, like, is staying in Vienna and he's working then for the police. Is that what we're supposed to understand? I don't... I... I didn't get that from it.
1: I didn't think he actually had a job. So I was like, oh, I'll just live in this foreign city with no job. I'm a shrub. (laughs) Um, I really liked how the beginning and the end was the same funeral. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah, there, there were just so many nice details in this.
0: Um, like all the use of light and shadow. Oh my God, I'm so it was so great. It was a really beautifully shot film. That was my like the major takeaway.
1: You're a lovely picture, beautiful girl. You're a gorgeous mixture of all that lies under the big blue sky. My heart cries. I read in the trivia that. Uh, there was some dissatisfaction with how plain Anna's clothes were. They wanted her to be more glamorous. Um, How's she going the- to be glamorous? If she's- I know, it's post-war Vienna. Like, <laughs> she doesn't have money. There's probably, like, a black market for nylons and stuff like that. Um, but in the end, the costume person won out. And I still thought she looked great. She looked amazing. I loved the trench coat and hat that she was wearing mm-hmm. a lot. And I thought it seemed more realistic that she would be wearing... The same clothes repeatedly,
0: considering her position. Yeah, um, I loved that striped jacket she had. That. Oh yeah, she just looked good and whatever. Right. She has <laughs> she, the kind of she's the kind of face where she can like be wearing uh, uh, like a flower sack and she'd be
1: beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the scene where. Um, Holly first meets her, and she's getting changed out of her costume, yeah. and she takes her hair out of the wig, and then, like in the next shot, it just looks perfect. Yeah. And I'm like, no one's hair looks that good <laughs> coming out of a wig. False.
0: <laughs> There's also that scene where she she gets on the train, and she it's as if she's like heading wherever she's going to safety, mm-hmm. um, and she sits back in the train, and she like ran, runs her hand through her hair. And it just sort of like sets, like settles in a way that's just perfect. (laughs) She
1: was lucky. She's got some hair. Um, The men's suits all I thought looked good. Um, I really liked how the landlady of her apartment builder was always wrapped in that quilt. (laughs) I thought that was cool. So great. And all the street people too, I thought the costuming looked. Well, obviously, if they were extras, maybe it was just their, their clothes. clothes. Yeah, it looked very realistic. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich, and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Uh, what about um, a social justice bed?
0: Um Well, I think that whole the whole penicillin thing is um, like that particular racketeering. With medicine has a pretty strong social justice element to it because, at first, when Calloway was talking about it, um, I thought, oh, he's, you know, Harry's doing this great thing. He's like, he's operating the black market with this this drug that everyone needs, and it turns out he's like adulterating it and diluting it, and so it like is causing more harm than good. And so, stopping him is a like, an act of justice. I thought that was very smart on his part when he took
1: Holly to the hospital. Yeah. He was like, let's just look through here. And they they didn't show what any of the patients looked like, but it was sort of implied. Yeah. But it still came down to he wasn't, in the end, he was not motivated enough by the, you know, (laughs) harmed and or dead children. Yeah. He was motivated by
0: Anna. Yeah. So I don't think it speaks very well. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> He's not very, not a very compassionate person.
1: No. Not not at all. And uh, it definitely, I think, just in terms of the setting, spoke about like what you know how it was for civilians in post-war years with the police would treat them however I mean, the police think, and even the fact that nobody could communicate with one another like yeah. the language barriers and clearly the citizens were all afraid mm-hmm. no one wanted to come forward
0: yeah
1: um so i mean that wasn't as overt of a message but i think it definitely did talk about like oh is this the best way to be handling this, this like this time of transition probably yeah. not
0: yeah
1: i've come home to live with you again here in the same house but it can't be in the same way. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. I don't think I'll do anything of importance that will displease you, but Mother, from now on, you must give me complete freedom. What about
0: the battle test? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> given that they're the landlady, I guess, and uh, Anna... Had some conversations about, well, it was mostly the landlady screaming about, um... The police. The police being barbarians. Um, and Anna saying, yeah, yeah, shut up, lady. Stop talking. Oh, <laughs> um,
1: yeah, that, I think that must have been the only conversation. There were almost no other women in the movie. Yeah. I mean, who had speaking roles. Yes. Yeah, who had speaking roles. There was is- the pasty lady. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't use her words. No. <laughs> um... So, I guess we would say probably doesn't pass. <laughs> they didn't have the opportunity to pass. I mean, if we're if we're talking a conversation, yeah, that is not about men, and there there were there really you
0: could say there barely, there wasn't even a conversation between two women. Yeah, so. so it like super fails. Yeah, they don't even have the opportunity to not talk about men. No. Yeah, <laughs> what would you rate this movie? What what is our what does it go like one to four? One, I don't, I or can't remember one to five. One to, I think it's one to five. You can um, make it out of whatever range okay. you want to make it. This, um, is, this is our podcast. This is we, we can make our own well. rules. I'm gonna give
1: it. I'm gonna give it a really high rating. I'm gonna say four and a half.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with the four and a half too. Just for the way that it was filmed alone. Yeah.
1: Um, and actually, the first time I saw this movie was because my brother was taking film classes, and they were studying it in one of his oh. classes, and I watched it with him. And uh, it would, you know, he wrote papers on it and stuff. So I mean, this clearly this is a movie that has had a lot of influence on late. I Martin Scorsese, I read like did his. Did some kind of thesis on this movie when oh, really? he was in school, so it's had a lot of influence.
0: Um, what What would you give it? I yeah, think? four and a half, I think. Like based almost entirely on how it looked and the and the narrative. I think you're right that it. Like it's really tight. Mm-hmm. And the cat. And the cat. Yeah, the cat. That, <laughs> the cat and the dog that played major yes. roles, and the parrot. I'm yes. glad you brought up the animals because I wanted to talk to you about
1: them. <laughs> I think well, my brother's a big cat lover, and I think that's part of the reason
0: he liked this movie so much. The cat kind of has a major role in revealing character. Yes, I mean honestly, and literally it, and figuratively.
1: It reminded me of the Diary of Anne Frank, where like the cat gives away that he's basically if the cat had not existed, yeah, gone to him, he would not have been found. Yeah. So that darn cat. Yeah, I love the parrot and the dog, too. Yeah. So. A little dog. <laughs> a little tiny dog. So, overall, I'd say um, we've redeemed ourselves <laughs> with movies. Because we hadn't had one that I think got above,
0: like, a three, three in a while. Yeah we, were, yeah, we watched Now Voyager and Swing Time and then Please Don't Eat the Daisies. The last good movie we watched was Bachelor and Bobby Soxer*. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's. Well, and, and what, what other ones did
0: we give good ratings to? I feel like we gave a good range. Charade. And L- Little, Women. Little Women. Yeah. And Then Man. Oh, and then we watched American in Paris. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> Another doozy.
1: Well, we're just covering the gamut. That's
0: right. <laughs> we're just doing all. Of them. So, what is our next movie, Hillary? Ooh, our next movie is our first Greta Garbo movie. Uh, very <laughs> fittingly. <laughs> yes. Fittingly. Um, it's um, Nanuchka. Nanuchka. no, We will learn how to pronounce this by the next we say it all
1: the time. So until next time, thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.